Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you so much for your giving. Um, how many are excited about March the 10th, our, our second Freedom Night? Anybody excited about that? Uh, if you missed the first one in February, I would make plans to be here. Uh, the place was packed, the first one. Uh, and we saw God do some amazing things. And so I want to encourage you to not only come on March the 10th, uh, we're prioritizing revival, healing, miracles. Um, we're praying for people. Um, I don't even know what all God wants to do. I just know that I'm saying yes, right? Just whatever God wants to do. So make plans to be here. It's a Friday night at 7 o'clock. Um, today we are closing out a series that we've been in for the last, uh, today is week four of a, a series that we're entitling A Healthy House. And in the series we've looked at Beatitudes that Jesus gave us from Matthew chapter 5, and we've been talking about the difference between being a Christian family and a Christ-centered family. That in this culture in which we live now, it doesn't mean what it used to mean when a family says, we are Christian. Uh, It can mean a lot of different things, but how many of you understand that if we are Christian and we are Christ-centered, that our lives should look different? that what we value looks different, the way we spend resources looks different, the way we treat one another. In other words, if we're Christ-centered, our life looks totally different. There ought to be evidence that our life has been changed. But a lot of people, the problem is, a lot of people profess to be Christian, but there's no evidence. How many know we have to address that? Uh, Jesus taught us the principle that you would know a tree by its fruit. In other words, you can visibly see that they are following Jesus. There should be evidence in their life. And so in the first message, we looked at the passage where Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall or will be filled. We talked about pursuing God and and involving God in our conversations and um, hungering and thirsting for God's presence. In week two, we talked about pure hearts, and we used the beatitude which Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In that message, we really dealt with getting our own heart right. The Bible says to guard your heart because from it flow the issues of life, that it's important that our heart remain pure. And we know that purity is not accidental. Purity is very much intentional. I don't accidentally become pure. (laughs) I don't accidentally become holy. It's something that you have to pursue. It's something that you have to go after. Um, The Apostle Paul, and let let me just throw this out here. The Apostle Paul said to cleanse yourself of all filthiness of the spirit and of the flesh, which means that we have a responsibility when it comes to our personal integrity, our personal purity. And then last week, we talked about peacemakers. How many of you enjoyed the message on peacemaking? Anybody enjoy it? Big difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper, right? A peacekeeper avoids conflict at all costs. We're not dealing with anything. We're just going to let it roll. We don't talk about the issues, right? 
But a peacemaker will embrace the conflict to arrive at a true place of peace. And so we talked about forgiving. We talked about apologizing when we're wrong. And let me just say to the parents, if you mess up, apologize in front of your kids. Like if you, if you mess up with them in your parenting and you make a mistake, don't be afraid to have a conversation where you sit your kids down and say, I was wrong. Don't say I was wrong because you did. Just admit I, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done it that way, okay? How many know we can grow a whole lot through apology, right? Humility is a big deal. Um, today's going to be really different, really, really different. And I wanted to avoid this message. Um, if I'm being real honest, I thought I was just going to scratch everything, tell them not to throw anything on the screens. We're going to just preach revival. But the Holy Spirit would not allow me to just throw this to the side and not talk about it. But I want to talk to you about preparing your family for persecution. Preparing your family for persecution. We've been talking about a healthy house. How many of you want your house to be healthy and blessed, right? Uh, we, we want that. We want to embrace that. But we also need to know that if you are a Christ-centered family, you will be persecuted. It's a given. And some of you are thinking, I'm so glad I got up out of the bed to come hear this encouraging message on preparing my family for persecution. Um, and I know that that may be the first glance at it. That may be how you feel. But I want you to know if you're a Christ-centered family, you need to know people will mock you. People will make fun of you. You will be ridiculed. All because you and your family are Christ-centered. And I don't know how it's going to play out in your family, but it will play out in some kind of way. That if Jesus is the central point of your, of your home, there will be persecution. If you looked at the three messages we've done so far, if we went back to week number one, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. If you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness in an unrighteous world, people are going to laugh at you. People are going to think you've lost your mind. People are going to mock you. If we looked at week two, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. If you're trying to live pure in a world that idolizes impurity, people are going to mock you. In week three, last week, peacemakers. If you're, if you're a peacemaker and you, live and, and you are forgiving the unforgivable and you're apologizing when you're wrong and you're telling the truth in love, if you live that kind of way, you are going to be persecuted. And so the last beatitude we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 5. Same chapter, three verses, little deeper than the previous three weeks. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Now that's a tough passage of scripture, but Jesus says, blessed are you when people make fun of you, when people persecute you, ridicule you because of your faith, and then he ties or connects that there is a reward attached to it. And you may be here today and think, what does that mean? You know, blessed are you for 
you know, for enduring persecution, for right living. And you may even think, well, I get it. You're a pastor and you preach and you declare the word and, and, and you preachers are kind of odd anyway and you're a little bit peculiar and different. I understand you getting persecution, but I don't really understand me getting persecution. And what I would say to that is that the reality is if you move from just being Christian to Christ-centered, you'll be persecuted even if you're not a preacher. And I need you to know that, that your life is going to stand out if you make a strong stance in your faith for Christ. If, if you, how many know if you really love Jesus and you're really all in and he's the center of everything your family is about, your family's going to stand out. It's going to look different. In fact, the very first illustration of persecution in the Bible was between Cain and Abel, and it didn't happen because Abel was preaching at Cain. He wasn't preaching at Cain. The reason Cain was angry is because Abel was living the right way. His, his, Abel's relationship with God and his pursuit of God and doing things the right way offended his brother Cain. It wasn't a sermon that offended him. It was right living. Right living will always convict wrong living. I'm, I, I need to say that wrong. Y'all ain't had enough coffee. Right living will always convict wrong living. Now, now watch this. Um, I can preach really, really hard. Like, I can, I can preach the kind of messages. As a matter of fact, the safety team all met me in the hallway today and said, man, you've really been wearing this out. You've been preaching some hard stuff, but we like it. We like it. How many know that, that you can preach holiness and purity and being set apart and going after Jesus and making him the center of your life? And, and listen, hungry people, people hungry for Jesus are never offended by it. The only people offended by that kind of message are those that are living lukewarm. It's only the lukewarm that get offended over hard preaching. Or strong messages. And so right living always convicts wrong living. Uh, right living always convicts lukewarm living. And so when you make Christ the center and you gotta, you, you're living a Christ-centered life, whether that be mean that you're a teenager or a young adult and you've decided to honor God with sexual purity or you're a family that decides certain movies we're not watching in our home or whether that means our kid is not going to participate in that activity or maybe you're just seeking God and, and things aren't going right for you right now because there's resistance to doing the right thing. You need to know people will make fun of you. People will mock you. Persecution will come. But how many know God is raising up an army of people that can handle some persecution, some criticism, that we're willing to stand out. We're willing to stand out. And so the question we got to ask is how do we prepare for it? How do we prepare for persecution? How do we prepare our kids, our family, that we have roots deep enough in Christ that we can handle the inevitable persecution that will come against us? I'm going to give you three things today. Number one, we need to expect it. This is very important. So many people come to, can you believe what they said about me? Yes, I can. 
Can you believe what they did? Yes, I can. Persecution needs to be expected. All right? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you want to follow Christ, it's going to happen. If your family is Christ-centered in some way, you're going to be different. You're going to stand out. People won't understand you. You will be criticized. And you got to be okay with, with, let me just say it like this, you're going to have to be okay with not everyone liking you. And I know we get in church and think everybody's going to like me. I can show you a whole list of people that can't stand me. All right? And you got to be okay. Come on, smile at me, church. Come on. I, I know that some of us, we, we, wanna, we just want this group to like us. So we, we're chameleons. And so we, we will be what this group needs us to be and so that they like us. And if we're, out, if we're away from that group and we don't want them to see, then we'll, we'll, we'll do the same for this group because we want every, it's more important many times for us to be like than for us to live right. And we, we've got to make an adjustment. It, now, does that mean I go around treating people poorly? Absolutely not. But I'm not living for the approval of man. I'm living for the approval of God. If God has given me his approval, I don't need your approval. All right? So, so you've got to expect it. We're going to look different. One of the examples I could give you, a practical example of you got to do what's right for your family, what you feel God is telling your family to do. I can give you an example with my kids. Um, we have three kids, and listen to me, all three of them go to different schools, different types of schools. I've got one who has been at Liberty University. This is his fourth year, online only. He's a 10th grader. He's been online school, Liberty University, for four years. I got one who has been in public school his entire life. He's, in, he's, he's 14 years old. He's actually running all that behind me right now. Um, and he's in public school. And I got the little princess is at LBA in Christian school. And so I know it sounds crazy. Why would you have three kids? They all go to completely different schools because we have prayed about our kids and we are trying to do what is right by each of them individually. And so when I tell people I got one at Liberty and I, every time I have this conversation with people, I feel so awkward because they look at me with like deer in the headlights and they're like, you got one at Liberty, one in the public school and one at LBA. Yeah, I do. I know it don't make sense, but I'm different. My family's different. We're peculiar. We're, we, 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 we're set apart. God, we're, we're trying to hear God and honor God and do what's best for each kid. And I'm not trying to tell. I got one who's in PJs all day long because he's online. He never has to get out of his PJs. I got one that's got to get up and go, and he can wear an outfit like this. And I got one that has to wear a uniform to school. And so I'm not telling you to send your kid to Liberty. I'm not telling them you to send your kid to public school. I'm not even telling you to send them to Christian school. I'm saying you got to hear from God and do what's right for your family, what's best for your kids, and you're going to look weird. No, people are not going to understand. And obviously, I'm not telling you which, which school to go to because it looks like we don't know. Right? People call me, should I send them to public? Should I send them to Liberty? Should I send them to Seneca? Should I send them to LBA? Should I send them? I don't know. I'm saying pray. 
Hear from God. Live Christ-centered. Obey what the Holy Spirit is telling you and your family to do. All right? Is that all right? And so I don't know what it's going to be for you. It could be Thanksgiving dinner. You, people, your family takes jabs at you because you want to pray over the meal. It, it, it may be a business deal that you step away from because it's, you know it's unethical and people are going to criticize you. It, it may be a lot of things. Maybe at school you open up your Bible to read it and people make fun of you. Whatever it may be, they may, they may make fun of you, mock you, persecute you, but I want to help you to expect it. All right? We're not going to eliminate that. It's part of following Jesus. Um, my advice to you if you're raising kids is that I, I would encourage you to introduce your kids to small doses of persecution. And, and what I mean, with, there are some things my kids, if we have criticism coming our way or you know, persecution coming against us or people are, are talking about, which is every day of our life, that, that's just a given. There are, there are some of that I shield them from. They don't need to know it, but there are sometimes I sit down and I introduce them to it because I don't want them to turn 18, leave the house, and, and never have experienced any kind of resistance, any kind of, of persecution, and then when it happens to them as an adult, they don't know how to handle it. How many know we need to expect, as Christ followers, persecution is coming? All right? It's something we have to expect. Um, people are going to misunderstand you. It's going to happen. Um, and I'll, I'll, let me just say this. Persecution in this country it has been relatively light, but it is increasing every single day. There is a tremendous amount of hostility that is growing towards Christianity and Christian values, uh, and we, we better learn in the last days. I'm believing, like, What's happening at Asbury? What's happening at Lee University? Listen, I am praying that revival sweep across our region. But you need to be aware that with revival, if you don't believe me, just go read all the commentary about the moves of God that are happening. Listen, there will be criticism and persecution attached to it. So just know when you pray, God, pour out your spirit. We want revival in our region. You're also saying we're ready to embrace. We're ready to expect persecution to come with it. It's part of it. And we don't want to talk about that side of it. I know. We just want the healing, the breakthrough, the miracle, the salvation. Yeah, we get all that, but you get criticism with it. You get persecution with it. And so we have to expect it. Look at what Jesus said in John 15. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. How many believe that what Jesus said is true? If they persecuted him, you will also be persecuted. So number one, we're going to expect it. Number two, we're going to endure it. We're going to endure it. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. It says, when we are cursed, we bless. Let me hit the timeout button. How many of you find that verse hard? When we're cursed, and we got a lot of liars in church today. Anybody find that verse hard, that when we are cursed, 
we bless? Come on, that, that, that's when we are, Then he goes on to say, when we are persecuted, we endure it. So when we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. And as I was praying through this message this morning, this message has been done for a week. But I was praying through it this morning, and it was like the Holy Spirit was wanting me to, to convey to you that the reason why a lot of us struggle situationally, I'm not going to say we struggle all the time, but there are certain situations that persecution comes against us, and we struggle, and here's why. We respond in a way that is not biblical. Every time I endure, that I'm facing persecution, every single time, if I step away from the Scripture and I decide I'm going to respond to this in a way that I want to, and you need to know, I know I'm your pastor, but sometimes I want to jump across the table and do the stunner on somebody. Come on, choke slam somebody. Like, I, I do. I have emotions. I know it's hard to believe. I have emotions. I feel things. I want to slap people sometimes. Like, I, I get it. I understand. But every time I want to respond to criticism, persecution, people saying all manner of evil, false things about me, when I want to respond in a way that is not biblical, I complicate everything. And by complicating it, I mean, number one, I'm not doing what the Bible says, so number one, I'm in disobedience. Secondly, I'm immediately, every single time, robbed of joy and peace. Listen to me. As hard as it may be, as hard as it may be, every time you face persecution, criticism, whatever it may be, respond in a biblical matter because you take all the complication out of it. You simplify the process and you protect your own peace of mind and your own joy level by simply doing what the Bible says. Here lately, every time I'm faced with something, I've been saying this phrase a lot. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? I don't have to think about it if I know what it says. I don't have to come up with a plan of response if I know what it says. I stand on the Scripture. So what, so what do we do when, when people persecute us and they criticize us, they mock us, they make fun of us? Here's what we don't do. We don't whine about it. We don't cry about it. We don't gripe about it. We don't say this isn't fair. If we want fair, then we'll show up where they judge pigs. Come on, somebody. We don't cry about it. We don't, we don't mope around saying they unfriended me on Facebook. I, I can't believe this. I can't get over this. I, you know, I just can't suffer anymore, Pastor. Another one has unfriended me on Facebook. Book. Come on, just get in line, get a ticket. I know all too much about it. We're not going to whine and cry over it. We're going to endure it. Now, this is tough because we, we, think, we think that stuff is like heightened persecution. I want to remind you and, and say this um, respectfully, that the persecution we endure in this country is incredibly light compared to what people face around the world. You need to know when you're crying over somebody blocked you on Facebook, <laughs> in some places in the world, when somebody puts their, their faith in Christ, immediately their family disowns them. In some places, when they put their faith in Christ, 
they cut their tongue out. Other places, they cut an ear off. Some places, the moment they come to faith in Christ and and the people find out about it, they are immediately put to death. So if someone makes fun of you for living pure, endure it. When people persecute you for having different values, endure it. When God calls you to break free from bondage and religious people say it don't take all that, just endure it. Because when you endure persecution and criticism, whatever you want to call it, when you endure that, God begins to do something on the inside of you. When you endure it, your spiritual roots actually go deeper. Your intimacy with Christ increases and your spiritual resolve is strengthened. Every time we endure persecution in a way that honors God, I believe that our faith only gets stronger. And some of us, the reason we we need, let me just say this, some of you, if you haven't had persecution in a while, you're at a disadvantage. If you've not had people criticize you in a while, you're at a disadvantage. All throughout Bible history and all throughout history itself, when the church has been persecuted or criticized, you know what's happened every single time? The church has grown and flourished and matured, and they were able to reach more people. It was more powerful because persecution does something. It causes us to lean more into Christ. I remember in college, I had, Karen and I had, I mean, we we got so on fire for Jesus and Those of you that have been to college, you know the scene. We were at Marshall University. I'm not saying it was the number one party school, but it was definitely a party school. Um, And we were on fire for Jesus, and I can remember, you know, saying yes to the call of God on my life, that God had called me to preach. I'd said yes to it. Um, But I had one more year of college classes to go because what I had been, I'd already gotten three out of the way, one more to finish the Uh, my degree. And so I I knew I needed to finish it out one more year, get the bachelor's degree. But in the meantime, um, how many know that didn't mean that everybody else around me was on fire for Jesus. And it also didn't mean that the people that I lived, there was four of us living in one apartment. And all four of us, not all of us, were going after Jesus. And so I'm saying that to tell you that the environment was not conducive for a young man pursuing Jesus and a call of God on his life. Uh, At my apartment, my friends wanted the girls to come there, the parties to be there. They wanted all the fun to be there. And I can remember them looking at me, and when I would say, no, I'm not going to be part of that, I'm leaving, or I'm going to my room, and I'm shutting the door, and I'm even going to lock it because I don't know what all's going to go on out there. And they would look at me like I was a stick in the mud thinking, you're young, you need to enjoy this, Why, why are you doing that? But in that season... Because I did not give in to the current. How many know, in this world, if you stand for Jesus, you are going against the current. You are moving against the grain. It's why Jesus said you got to press yourself into the kingdom of God, which means there will be resistance. And in that season, my faith in God increased. It deepened. My love for God grew. My dependency on God increased to live for God in that environment. And it helped me to understand that I could not live for the approval of people, but I was living for the approval of God. How many know you can live for God even in an upside down world? It's possible. I need you to give God a better praise than that. I know this is a different kind of message. 
But I want you to know you can live for God in the midst of a crazy world. As a matter of fact, if again, if you haven't been persecuted in a while, I'm telling you, you might need a little bit of that. It might deepen your relationship with God. And when your family decides as a family, not just, yeah, we're Christian, but you, you make a stand. We're Christ-centered. We have different values. We're pursuing different things. When your family is persecuted and you're Christ-centered, there's a sense of strength and identity for, those, for, for, for what God has called you to be. I want to say it like this. When family identity is strong, peer pressure is weak. When family identity is weak, peer pressure is strong. And this is important because where there's a deep-grounded spiritual identity, in other words, in your home, if everybody knows we are here for Christ, we serve God, we're called by God, we live by different values, we live for a higher purpose, where there is strong family identity, peer pressure is weak. But on the opposite end of that, if you don't have strong family identity, you don't have a mission, you don't have a purpose, you don't have a higher calling, you're just living for the next payday or living for a new car, not really living for Jesus, in that environment where there's not a strong family identity, then peer pressure becomes very strong. See, we're not just a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered family. So what do we do? How do we prepare our families for persecution? We help them to understand we're going to expect that it's going to happen. Then we're going to endure it. And number three, we're going to embrace it. This is very, very important because enduring and embracing are two different things. There are times that the persecution that has come against me, I just, I literally just had to endure it. It's the only word for it. I just had to endure it and get through it. But God wants us to move from simply enduring it to being able to embrace it. And here's, here's the truth about that. What this means by embracing persecution is that you get to a place where you thank God that you get to suffer in some small way like Christ did. And this, is, this is difficult because no one, if I said, come next Sunday, we're all going to suffer together. This place would be empty. Nobody wants to suffer. But there's something about suffering for Jesus in some small way that we are able to thank God for it. The, the Apostle Peter was speaking to a group of Christians who were suffering. They were being persecuted beyond anything that our safe world could imagine. In fact, what they would do is, is that in that time period, if the Christians would not renounce Jesus, if they wouldn't say, renounce the name of Christ and renounce their faith, they would actually put them in a giant coliseum in the middle. Thousands of people fill the coliseum to watch as they put those who, you know, placed their faith in Christ out in the middle, and then they would release lions in, into the middle of the coliseum for them to be completely devoured. And Peter's writing to people that know 
this is our future. This is what we have to look forward to. And Peter, talking to them in 1 Peter 4, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. When persecution comes your direction, when testing comes, when fiery ordeals come, when suffering comes, what does he say? He says, I want you to praise God that you bear his name. So when your friends make fun of you because you pray over a meal, praise God that you bear his name. People make fun of you because you take a strong stance and you have biblical values in your home, praise God that you bear his name. How many are thankful that you bear the name of Jesus today? I, I do want to say this as the worship team comes, as they come out. Um, some of you feel like because every direction you turn, it seems like there's persecution, there's resistance, nothing's easy, everything's hard, and some of you feel like, man, maybe I'm doing something wrong. And that could be true, but I also want you to see the other side of it. Sometimes the reason we have persecution, the reason we're criticized, the reason we have opposition everywhere we turn, it's not because we're doing the wrong thing, it's because we're doing the right thing. It's because we're doing the right thing. How many of you understand this is a spiritual battle? It's a real spiritual battle. It's, it's not made up. And if you are pursuing Jesus, I can promise you the enemy's going to try to resist that every single time. And so you just got to know it's a very real spiritual war. And, and I want to say this because I'm trying to be practical and spiritual and and say what God wants me to say. I'm trying to, you know, do all the pastoral things that sometimes we, it's, it's not even the expectations you put on me, it's expectations I have of myself. But with my kids, as I said earlier, there have been times when I have shielded them from persecution. I don't want them to know this is happening. I don't want them to know this is going on. I don't want them to know any of this stuff. But they, my boys... Eli will be 16 this week. I can't even believe that he's going to be 16. Zeke's 14. And so they, they've gotten to an age that, number one, we need to introduce them to small amounts of persecution. But number two, they're, they're getting too old not to know. Does that make sense? They're at that age. We have deep conversations at times. And so I say that because I've had to let them know in different seasons, especially over the last three years, certain situations that arise where I have to sit them down and say, boys, you need to understand there are people out there that hate me and hate this church and they're going to hate you because you're a part of it. Is that a fun conversation? Absolutely not. Is it a true conversation? Yes. And so I've had to have conversations with them where I've explained some things that we have gone through as a family. Things that can be considered, it has to be labeled 
as persecution. And you just got to let them know this is what's happening. Um, is, is that fun? No. But do people despise us sometimes? Yeah. Not only do some people hate us, some people aren't happy unless they can stop me from doing what I'm called to do. And if they can't do that, then they just want everybody else to hate me the same way they do. And I know for some of you, you're like, oh, I don't need to hear all this. No, yeah, yeah, you do. Because this is not just a preacher thing. You will face persecution. So much so that some people will use, use phones to criticize your ministry, even when you're giving it everything you've got. People that will use your own planning center to talk bad about you as the leader. People that will write songs about you and your family in a negative way. So, yeah, I've had to have conversations with my boys. Like, yeah, they're going to hate me. Sometimes they're going to hate my guts. They're going to want us to fail. They're going to hate you because you're a part of it. Now, let me just say on behalf of my boys, when I was 16, when I was 14, if I was going through that with my parents, I would have wanted nothing to do with the church. Nothing. I would have ran from the church. But praise God, they still love the church, love God, and love all y'all through all of the mess. So they're better young men than I was. So why are you telling us all this? Because it's important that you know that it ain't always easy to do the right thing. It's not always easy to keep your cool. It's not always easy to pray and to bless when you're being persecuted. It's going to happen. We expect persecution. We endure persecution. And we embrace persecution. How many got something out of the Word of God today? Did you get something out of it? I want you to stand with me. I want you to stand with me. Jesus' words were, Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Listen, guys, there's always going to be spiritual opposition. There is a real devil. There is demonic activity. Hell's not happy when you decide my family's going to be healthy and whole and we're going to love God. I mean, the devil don't like that. But I, I just want to encourage some families today, as you make those decisions, yeah, you're going to have resistance. But here's what I would tell you if you are facing persecution, and it's something I've, I've had to do a better job with. The last three years has taught me you can't do it all alone. Because one of the worst parts of all this is not just enduring persecution, but seeing people almost like they celebrate those that are doing the persecution. And you're trying to handle it like, how, how, do, how do we rationalize that? And then you try to handle it alone. But I've learned that there are other people who have been persecuted, other people who have been made fun of, and what I would tell you here at Bethesda Church, if you're facing persecution as a family, if you've got family members or loved ones that treat you differently because you now serve Jesus, don't battle those feelings alone. 
there are people all over this room that have gone through some of the same things you've gone through. Pick up the phone. Call somebody. Call me. I will have a conversation with you on how to expect it, endure it, and embrace it. I will, I will pray with you and for you. And if you don't call me, call somebody else. If not, get in a small group so you can talk about what your family is facing and begin to overcome. We need to, we need to stop this whole isolation thing and carry all of our problems ourselves. The Bible says to bear one another's burdens. There is strength in numbers. There is strength when you connect your faith with another believer's. I believe that we can get through and we can make it. And at the end of the day, we're going to have a room and a church full of healthy families. How many believe it? Come on, give him a praise this morning. Come on, Eli. You put that down there. Thank you. That thing's heavy. I didn't know if he could handle it, but he got it. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment. I'm going to do two separate things here. Number one, I do want to speak to the people in the room that you'd say, Pastor, I, I, I need to repent. I need to acknowledge the Lordship of Christ in my life. I need to make some things right with God. I need to turn from sin and follow Jesus. That's what repentance is. If that's you this morning, you say, I need to make some things right. I need to follow Jesus. Today's my day. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say you're talking to me. I see this hand back here. God bless you. God bless you. There's one over here too. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else, you say, that's, that's me. I'm going to give you just a moment. Anyone else? Is there another one back here? Over here? Awesome, awesome, I see that. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for this hand back here too. I see that hand. God bless you, the very back. Awesome. There's another one there. I see that hand. Praise God, I see you, sir. Anyone else this morning? All these hands that just went up. This is, this is life change happening right here, right now. I want us to pray this out loud where we can hear it with our own ears. I want you to pray it with me. Just repeat these words. No magic in the words. It's, it's helping you express what God's doing in your heart. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So today... I choose to repent for all my sins, and I choose to follow you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a praise for that. So good. So good. Our compass directors are, are if you made that decision, if they didn't find you, just lift your hand up again. They want to get some information into your, your hands. I see, yeah. Make sure they make eye contact with you and get you some information so you can be a part of our Compass Discipleship class that will be coming up real, real soon. I'm going to ask the prayer team and the staff to come forward. I want to do something a little bit different with this altar service. Um, at 9, I just kind of corporately prayed for it, all the people that felt like they had gone through a season of persecution, maybe criticism, maybe overcoming some things that 
had, had been falsely said about them. Um, this altar is open for anything you need prayer for. It may be a healing, a deliverance, may, may be a financial need. But I also, if you just want somebody to connect with you in prayer because you have been enduring a season of persecution, please know this altar is open. We want to put our faith with yours and believe that God's going to meet you where you are, that you can expect it, you can endure it, but he'll also give you the grace to embrace it. Before the worship team comes, as they're ready to go, can we give Jesus one more big praise this morning? God bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.